Hey, this is Dirk Revuren from Megadeth, and you're listening to GhostCultMag.com. Welcome back to the Ghost Cult Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, OJ. In today's episode, Tom Osmond interviews Alan of Primordial. Their new album, How It Ends, is out now on Metal Blade. And don't forget to like and subscribe, follow us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Let's get these numbers up, yo. Hi, this is Tom at Ghost Cult, and we are delighted to be joined by the vocalist from, I guess, can we say metal legends, metal veterans, Primordial. Alan is here, um, and Primordial are about to release their 10th studio album, How It Ends, on September the 29th via Metal Blade Records. Alan, thanks for joining us. All right, how are you? Not too bad. I'm not sure if we can uh, rightfully lay claim to the status of legend but um legend maybe worth was you know um well i was going to ask you how do you feel you know you've, <laughs> you've been you've been going for 30 plus years i'm sure people do throw around terms like legend and veteran how does that feel for you when people use those kind of words in connection with you and the band um <clears throat> i don't know i mean you start the band you're i mean i started the band joined the band when i was 16 so that's 1991. And, you know, at the beginning, you just want to um, work your way through a demo, an album, maybe. And then the decades go by and then it's 20, then it's 25. And, you know, before you know it, you've really kind of grown up within the structure of a band. And um, you don't really think about it when you start. And then the years just go by. It somehow seems like a long, long time ago, but also it's been like the blink of an eye. I suppose that's the nature of everything, really. As for heavy metal is kind of old. Heavy metal is middle-aged. Uh, and all of those things within it timeline as well so you have your moment where you are you know um bright young things full of energy and um impetuosity and then you move along the timeline so we're somewhere approaching the last few chapters i guess you know even though we're not that old but you know um 32 years i suppose is we've been at it well on that on that topic of kind of you know progressing down this this journey um like i mentioned how it ends is your 10th album and i'd like to get in a little bit to the meaning of the title so i'm sure you've been asked by everybody about this and i understand there's kind of multiple interpretations of it i guess in quite a large part influenced by the events that are going on around the world at the moment so i'm wondering if you could say a bit about kind of what how it ends means to you in terms of the concept of the album and why it felt like the right time to to make this particular statement well but you can hear me all right by the way right you can okay you know i didn't want to make a lockdown album or a pandemic album or a say what you see lyrical album so it's not that simple it's it's not a well it's it's kind of both things at the same time the idea is um this cryptic title to invite the question you know, is this how it ends? Is this how language ends, culture ends, mythology ends? Um, is this how revolutions end? Is this how societies, you know, the timeline of uh, um, an empire, uh, a nation state, your life, whatever it is, has this, it's sort of open-ended and cryptic. My intention was that the album was kind of going to be about, well, the, you know, liberty, but the concept of doomed revolutionaries. Uh, our, uh, the romantic figures of doomed revolutionaries who loom or have been forgotten in our um, folklore, in our um, history, and what that can tell us about the state, uh, modern society. I'm wary to make it a kind of state of the union type modern address, because that's not really the way I write lyrics. I like them to have historical purchase or cultural weight behind them and not be, like I said, say what you see, 
this is happening now. But certainly what I perceive as a, a, a lurch towards authoritarianism in the last five or 10 years, specifically the last three or four, partly inspired me to consider, you know, things like democracy is not the default setting of society or our changing relationship to tenets and structures of civilization, such as freedom of speech freedom of movement, bodily autonomy, um, freedom to gather, to protest, to dissent, all these kind of things and how that, say, aperture through which you can pass to, um, you know, embrace them as your um, inalienable rights are slowly closing. That's my feeling. But then I didn't want to write a modern 2023, as I said, state of what's happening. So it's look, I'm looking back over the last 100 and 120 130 years and looking maybe at the, uh, the concept of youthful figures full of um, the, uh, the, the idea of um, the ideals of doomed revolution to them or doomed revolutionaries and um, how their short lives were ended and, you know, what we can learn from that, if anything. So that's kind of the loose concept, liberty, I suppose. And from that perspective of drawing from the past, drawing from history, maybe thinking about mythology and folklore, although I think you said this was sort of around about the last 120, 130 years, were there any particular kind of figures or was there anything in specifically you're focusing on, maybe sort of figures or histories that you hadn't particularly spoken about in the past in your lyrics? Um, well, I mean, say, like I do this podcast, Agitators Anonymous, and I just did one about the Haitian Revolution, you know, Toussaint Louverture. Um, the kind of the first, you know, um, slave rebellion, successful slave rebellion, and how they kicked the ass of the, the English, the French and the Spanish. Um, that's just an example. Or, you know, Irish people sent as convicts to Australia rebelling. You've got romantic figures, maybe like Ned Kelly or something like this. Um, but it's not really specific in that sense. It's, you know, of course, Ireland has its fair share of them. The ideas of sacrifice, martyrdom, um, of um, all of these things should speak to you, whether you're from Peru, Palestine, Finland, Belarus. Um, I suppose To the Nameless Dead, the album from 2007 is about the movement of borders and empires and nation states, the establishment of them, what happened to entire peoples within them. Um, but also it, this one is more the people within the colony or empire who resisted, who rebelled, um, like I said, the doomed revolutionaries. Um, and um, I suppose it's a kind of, you know, not to go all Johnny Cash on it, but, you know, it's an album for the downtrodden, mm -hmm. it's a kind of defiant record. It's got, you could almost call it on some level a kind of working class record somehow, on some, some level. Um, in that it's about resistance to the will of the elite, so to speak, or the um, the architects of empire or colony or the architects of, um, you know, authoritarianism. Um, so these doomed figures, these romantic revolutionaries from the left or the right rebelling against either side, which was the authoritarian state at the time, um, or neither of those that could be like poets or, you know, um, I guess that's what I'm trying to tap into. And on some level, I'm asking how it ends, like, where are those people now? Yep. When it seems like an awful lot of people now take the things that I've talked about for granted, freedom of speech, for example, uh, and almost are willing and wanting more authoritarianism in their lives um, and i don't think it's it's um it's by accident i think it's by design so um that's kind of what and the, the album is loosely about not only so hearing you talk about the the sort of the, the themes that you're interested in and, and the themes that you're approaching on this album, it feels like the, the lyrical content and the, the ideas that you're singing about characters to represent is a pretty huge part of the package for you. So I, I don't know if you can sort of balance it up, but 
you know, I wanted to get into the actual vocal performances because I think there's lots of great things to talk about in there. But I wonder for you as a lyricist and a vocalist, how do you kind of balance between these two sort of mm, elements of expression? Um, well, I think you have to be, I think you have to be several different things at the same time. I think you have to be part rabble rouser, part hooligan, um, part poet, part politician, um, uh, part communicator or whatever you want to say part romantic, whatever, all different parts of you are, are taking the center stage. And also just a heavy metal fan who knows the worth of a very good chorus yep. and knows, you know, I, I'm, I'm as, I'm as um, you know, drawn to a great wasp song and a killer chorus of I want to be somebody as anybody else. And so you have to inject that into it. For people who don't necessarily speak English as their first language or who don't care or know what nonsense I'm on about, that they get the message, you know, victory has a thousand fathers, whatever, straight out of the Judas Priest wasp playbook. So you've got to be part of that. Then for the people who are looking for the other things we've just been talking about, that's there as well. But also you have to know when to be, you know, part, part sort of take control of a certain parts. And of course, sometimes like again, like in All Against All, I'm kind of playing a character, a Jekyll and Hyde style character who's got the sort of mocking nihilistic um very very um negative tone and sort of mocking people but that's not necessarily the artistic license of that it's not necessarily my point of view yeah. um, sometimes you know so it's lots of different things um as for the singing I, it's i personally i think it's the best singing i've done on any album just maybe just hit the right part of my age or you know um you're we're promoted as a very instinctual band we don't buck around in the studio much we don't make 20 demos of each song some of the songs are like one take of the singing um kieran is sometimes making stuff up and we're not sure where we go we make songs 50 to 70 um and then just leave some for the instinct of the studio so um sometimes you've not sometimes you're well rehearsed other times you're not well rehearsed at all but that's the sort of beauty of the journey of heading off and not knowing quite what's going to come out at the other end um i'm not really interested in either being a great singer or technique particularly particularly much particularly much yeah um it doesn't really interest me if, if it sounds great and it has character and expression intensity or whatever then that's that's enough um lots of my favorite singers are not technically good singers although some are but you know i'd rather listen to venom than dream theater so you know whatever well i guess you know all these things are quite relative but i think you're being a little bit modest because that was one of the things that stood out to me when i was listening to the album was the impressiveness of some of the vocal performances i mean i think even from the just the very beginning of the of the title track how it ends kind of one of the first things that hit me was like you know shit this is you're not like kind of slowly building up to it this is like really powerful vocals and some of the mm. the flows that you have you know the the progressions yeah. i listen to this and i think shit this sounds really hard to do and i'm wondering now that you've been singing for so long does it kind of feel like par for the course like you've sort of trained your body enough for this or was there anything in particular that you you found a challenge like i'm thinking as well on pilgrimage to the world's end there's like a really yeah. powerful scream that's in there as yeah. well i was like whoa shit yeah so, i burst a blood vessel in my eye doing that my God, I'm completely right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. It is hard that to do that. Like if I think of vocals on a scale of one to 10 and let's say eight is the Bruce Dickinson sort of you take my life sort of to do that with grit and like yep. filth in your voice. Yeah. This is where that's where I mentioned like Blackie Lawless Wasp to listen to him do it. This is fucking masterful. But he got it from Noddy Holder from Slade, I guess. And, and you know, um, say Humble Pie. Um, what's his name? Marriott. And this kind of gritty. Ah, kind of voice was always what I wanted but of course then when you reach into the higher ranges of it um if you start doing that like I started trying to sing like that maybe 20 20 odd years 21 or two years ago Stone for Cam kind of brutal voice harmony with melody in there 
and yeah, it'll wipe your voice out in 20 minutes or half an hour, and you, but you just sort of get used to it because your voice is a muscle like any other. And if you, you know, you need to sort of exercise it, so to speak, and um, you kind of get used to it bouncing back and the limits and limitations of it. But um, yeah, I mean, look, some of it is hard and there's four, five, six voices going on every now and again. Um, but that's part of the challenge. Make it better than the last time. But also to, to me, it's also about the, the um, to make it distinct, to make every word sound like if you you know if you speak english or you're good at english or you understand what's going on you don't need the lyric sheet necessarily necessarily if you're really listening you should be able to that's to me too much modern heavy metal is just a noise that is a noise in, in amongst all the other frequency ranges that are fighting for the middle the dynamics so i i'm also a big fan of oh, 80s heavy metal like Dokken and stuff like that and priest and i like that sort of vocal sitting in the middle with amongst the separation of instruments but my inspirations are probably more like like i said film Og, ufo phil in it the master of uh, moving in the kind of soulful counter rhythm um you know, I like a lot of 70s vocalists, early 80s heavy metal vocalists, of course, you know, you're Eric Adams and you're Black and Lawless and blah, 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 all the usual suspects. But also then again, sometimes I just want the aggression of, I want the wildest and aggression of when I hear like um, old hardcore or something, you know, I think to myself, oh, fucking, I want to fucking make this as a, the intent is uh, as profound as when the first time I heard Minor Thread or something. So I'm not really into how something is you know technically built up and made up i'm not really that interested like we did the song the last call on the previous album exile i want to listen back to it i thought this singing is too tight it's too to the rhythm we need to un because primordial is like jumping across from one riverbank to another you know sometimes from line to line but that 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 like if you listen to let's say take a, a rainbow song like kill the king um you know i'm trying to think and you've got the you've got the bass and the bass drum flicking in these counter like triplets and the hard consonants of the vocals are very often on all the triplets this is fucking masterful when you really listen so there's nothing like that in primordial it's very much kind of i'm starting on this bit i'm going to fly all the way across all europe and land on the other side and that's the sort of uh, reckless beauty of it um like is part of me that would much rather listen to misfits or venom you know um something technical but then again i could listen to king crimson and go can hell listen to that we can we can take a little bit of that and mix it with a bit of venom and yeah why not there you go yeah masters are masters are masters it doesn't matter what uh what pool they're paddling in um so just to to sort of go into the the album itself from a from another direction another thing which i don't know how actively you're involved with that really struck me with the album was some of the the guitar melodies you know i was really impressed mm. track by track there was some really un, from from my point of view quite unusual kind of melodic choices um like on we shall not serve there's some really beautiful kind of shimmering guitar interplay yeah. that's going on in that and um Nothing new under the sun. I thought the the guitar opening was really unusual. It's kind of dissonant. And to hear you talking about hardcore bands kind of makes that fit in a bit more. But are there sort of a lot of, like I said, I don't know how actively involved you are in the creation of the the music um, melodies, but it feels like there's quite a lot that's going on in there. Um, are there any maybe like sort of aspects or influences that might surprise people? Well, I suppose the biggest one is that I'm not an Irish traditional music guy. That's not, I'm not, um, like I said, I'm more into traditional heavy metal or 70s rock. But Kieran and Paul and Simon as well are very into Irish traditional music. So sometimes he comes to the table with, you know, influences like the Bothy band or local 
traditional airs and laments and jigs and reels and the chieftains and that kind of stuff. So sometimes what you're getting is heavy metal distilled through the rather strange chord and, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, eight timing of, you know, this strange Irish traditional timing. That's quite unusual for heavy metal. So you might get that mixed in with a lot of open chords. Like Promodia doesn't have many um, palm muting. Mm-hmm. It's, and, you know, although that song, Nothing New on its own, is a gong, 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 does have almost to me like 90s Megadeth palm muting. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Megadeth fan. So I was like, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, but then it's kind of in the background to this other kind of strangely handpicked thing. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on. We're all bringing something different to the table. I mean, sometimes people said, oh, you know, to the hell of the hangman from the last album. People were like, oh, it's because it has the shuffle, the 16th beat. People were like, it sounds like dance music. And I said, well, no, it doesn't sound like dance music. What it does have an element of is Hawkwind. We love Hawkwind. And, uh, you know, uh, 75 era, 74 era, Hawkwind, the bass throb. Then we can move to a little bit of Killing Joke, 82, 83. And so me and Simon, since we heard it, we're like, oh, maybe we could do you know kind of speed up the Bauhaus shuffle um and but it's also run to the hills and it's also ready and willing maybe by Whitesnake or so you know there's we're sort of everybody's um we're not dudes whose record collection just finished in 94 they um let me think all against all is a very simplistic almost black metal song the riffs are kind of a bit like Burzum or Beherit or something like that and they don't really change very much it has this dong 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 it's very simplistic beat and we were in rehearsal like oh it sounds like Beherit demos to us it's like no problem but it's gets ends up being put through the primordial ringer and comes out the other end and so you end up with something quite different so kieran might have an idea um you know victory is a thousand fathers is you know an irish and my friend goes oh it sounds like black metal thin lizzie i'm like yeah you know so and also the other thing is that we've been digging the same trench to fire out of for 30 years so we kind of have our own little you know piece of mud we've been sitting in (laughs) for 30 years so we kind of don't really sound like anybody nobody sounds like us so if we have a riff and somebody goes, it sounds like a riff we've done before. It's like, well, obviously. <laughs> yeah, we've been we've been we've been plowing this furrow for thirty years. Yeah. So, but when do you hear nothing new under the sun? I said, my friend, man, you know, it reminds me a little bit of something from Euthanasia by Megadeth. Megadeth is dunk, 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 dunk. Like, well, I can hear that. Then I'm like, yeah, but it also kind of reminds me of maybe Van de Graaff Generator on or Amundul or something with this if, with this throb. Maybe that's completely wrong. But ah, uh, you know, so it's we see Promodio's not Promodio doesn't really um we don't really work very hard at laying it all out. Like we don't have a grand plan. Yep. It's very it's very instinctual. We rehearse. We see we ha- okay. So we don't trade files. We don't um we have we do, uh, we no way we we don't we met, meet we stand in the room we argue we fight we make each other laugh we piss each other off but that's how we construct things that has to be that's that way so there's so it's all very or kind of organically done and in that respect you take a song like called to, to Kurlunos, that's written in like 10 minutes here and it's just like i have this riff whatever it is and it stops and the drums continue and you answer back to the riff and i'm like all right let me have a look let's go and like 10 minutes later it's more or less done because it, you just follow the instinct of the like the pulse of the song you know yeah so that's really important and i think in our own small way it feels like so to me it sort of feels like and this, this is not meant to sound arrogant maybe the metal scene kind of needs an album a bit like this right now it's big it's epic it's unashamedly heavy metal but it's got its own feeling to it but it's kind of defiant and it's got a sort of um angry defiant tone um maybe at a time when everything feels a bit defeatist or something um 
Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But. No, I, I, that definitely makes sense to me in terms of the feelings I got. I shouldn't say I was doing this because I think this is probably illegal, but I've been listening to this album as I've been cycling through Berlin. And it definitely, like, you know, it gives me that fire as I'm going around. And I can really appreciate that there are these different elements and influences, like you say, which are kind of fashioned in the way that the band works. Yeah. And I hear this kind of like, you know, I hear the heaviness, I hear some roughness, but it's got the melody as well. It's it's really cool to have all these elements. And like you say, it's like, it's defiant. It's not kind of being apologetic. It's not sort of saying, yeah. oh, well, okay, maybe we're going to do this. It's just like, no, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and, it's also, and it's also, I think people should make note of the fact that it's, like I said, it's kind of like a, an album for the downtrodden, the album for the, you know, the sort of the people who've been, um, you know, put upon by these um, uh, people who have been sort of resistant to the machinations of this sort of unelected technocratic oligarchy that we seem to be moving, um, you know, in, in step with or behind or whatever you want to say. I didn't explain that very well. I'm like, I suppose that's the best way to put it. It's kind of almost like a kind of sort of, um, ah, look, it doesn't matter. Go on. Fights, just it's like kind of like resisting against the forces that kind of seem too large and immovable to do anything against. Um, yeah, kind of. Like I said, doomed rebellion, doomed resistance. But it's also, it's supposed to give people a little bit of a, supposed to get a little bit of a shot in the arm, I suppose, as art should do when it communes to somebody that idea. I suppose the idea is, you know, look, the war might be lost, but maybe try and win some sort of personal battle or something like this but it might surprise people who have preconceptions about the band when i say that like no this is for like you know kind of working class people resisting um authority and that kind of stuff you know but the, all they would have to do is know where we came from we all grew up in ireland in the 70s and the 80s which shouldn't be surprising for us to be um you know counterculturally um uh, opposed to you know systems of authoritarianism or something and that like i said that's kind of what scares me about where we are now as a society where an awful lot of people seem to be willing willing these things into existence and wanting more of it in their life um and i think that like i said the default you know democracy is not the default setting of society and neither is freedom freedom of speech a virtue that people should just take for granted you know these um if it's not exercised then you know, it gets taken. And so, ah, but you know, like the album is not my place to proselytize about politics. You know, I have my podcast for that if I want to do it. And that's why the album is also, of course, steeped in a sort of, you know, a historical traditionalism, but, you know, a little bit of romantic mythology and that kind of stuff. So that's, it's, it's kind of got other languages and other things going on involved in there, you know, because we don't all share the same political viewpoint. And lots of people talk to me about politics all the time. So I seem to be one of the few people who want to talk about that kind of thing. But that's not not to say the album is full of all those things you know it's it can be an album to get you know to get lost in and escape it just as well as everything else I suppose. I guess that is that's a really a balance because on the one hand you don't want to water down the views or the opinions or the message that you want to have but you don't want to alienate people necessarily by presenting something that they are completely opposed to so I guess it's kind of a bit of a balancing act. Yeah I mean look it's 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 art it's not it's not entertainment but it's also not politics either we're not you know it's we're not punk rock band or whatever I and mean, it's still heavy metal so it still speaks to these things through the language heavy metals I guess you know and so like some sometimes the sometimes when you take a song like Pilgrimage to the World's End, which is really about poor people being sent by um, across the sea. Um, it was specific, in the beginning it was written about Irish people in the 19th century, but then I became it became also about um, really any migrants sent to sea um, by um, let's say forces of famine, war poverty, pestilence, whatever you want to say, and how people still from time immemorial are set out adrift at sea. But it's not like a you wouldn't call it like a a song that 
directly references, you know, the plight of migrants or refugees, even though it is about that. But it's written in a sort of language that's also about, you know, pulling into an empty port and, you know, no human will ever step ashore. And it's, I'm supposed to, I'm trying to write it in a sort of poetic language as well, that it can just be a beautiful song that's supposed to evoke a sense of the sea. Um, like the song Sunken Lungs and Exile Amongst the Ruins is just like one day it was um, like Dublin is a port. And so I was out on the beach on the north of County Dublin and there was like the, an old boat had been revealed um, by the retreating ocean. And I just thought, oh, the 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 inside of the boat looks a bit like um, a spine with um, with ribs. And I just thought about all oh, just that start. That's really sunken lungs. That's the entire formation at the beginning of the song. Then I was trying to write it. I don't know if it's called anamatopoeic or something like this. So words that sound like yep. or is that right? They yeah, sound they, like they, they sound like the like bang, for example. Yeah, yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, an attempt to kind of make moments of it to sound like the movement of the ocean or something. And so somebody go, oh, you know, sometimes. But it's it's open ended. People can ascribe their own meaning to these things. But sometimes they're not grandiose statements. Sometimes they're just you know small, strange or beautiful things. And then you try and weave them into or move them into like a chapter or two or something. You know. So it's kind of all things at the same time, I suppose. Well, Alan, I don't want to keep you from your next interview because I think you have another one but it's been great to uh, to get your insights maybe I could just finish by asking you one last question now that um the album's done and it's about to be released yeah what are the what are the plans for live shows where can people um expect to see you well we're starting touring next week with Ultima Ratio Festival with Paradise Lost Harakiri for the Sky and Omnium Gatherum I think um and it's three weeks around Europe um and we're going to play three or four new songs. Um, and that's what I've been doing today, trying to fix and fiddle with stage props. I've been messing with this miner's lamp from um, 1870, um, which was create. They were built to um, detect methane in the mines. Anyway, that's besides the point. I've been trying to fiddle with this and open it. You never know, it might make an appearance on stage if I can figure out how to, how to open it. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we'll play here and there and then some weekends and festivals and hopefully next year festivals and stuff. Like I said, the 10th album is a strange milestone because it really makes you take some form of stock of the last few decades and you think to yourself, well, there's a couple of chapters left. We'll see how many there is. But um, we'll try and make the most of those chapters while they, you know, are still yet to be written, I suppose, you know. Well, on that note, Alan, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And yep. uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed listening to the album. I wish you and the band and the album all the success. And uh, yeah, thank hopefully you, I'll see you somewhere on the road sometime. Yeah, thank you, sir. It's my pleasure. This has been another episode of the Ghost Quote Magazine podcast. Check us out at ghostquotemag.com and follow our socials at Ghost Quote Mag. Until the next time, peace. <laughs>